You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Amen. That was good to hear from testimonies of different people that have wrestled with the question, what does it mean to have Jesus as your king? Uh, We heard from some people that just uh, decided that uh, there were certain crossroads in their lives, whether it's a birthday or a change in employment or calling in life, and, and they had to wrestle with, what does it mean to have Christ as king of my life? And uh, I think that, that sometimes when it is those bigger decisions, that's a little easier and kind of comes into focus, but what does it look like on a day-by-day basis? I think that that's where I know I struggle with uh, kingship issues and how Jesus leads. I think that really what, what I'd like to mention this evening is the fact that we'll call it because king is not a word that we use very often. You know, think about uh, the, the monarchy or king. We, we would put that in a, a realm with the queen and, and all that's going on over in England. And, and when we think about as Canadians, the, the, that really is kind of remote. I mean, uh, really, they, you know, she can do what she wants and she can decide what she wants. It's not going to really affect our life in Canada too much. And perhaps that's the way we treat Jesus as king sometimes. You know, he's a figurehead, he's important in our lives, and, and you know, we go to church and we acknowledge him and so on, but really it's kind of up to us to run our lives. So I would call it another way. I would say that we struggle as Christians... And maybe you're not a Christian this evening, here this evening, but, but we struggle with what I call lazy lordship issues. Lazy lordship issues. Because another word for king is lord or master. And I really don't know if we get the understanding of king. You see, king is this idea that, that is supreme. King is this idea of the sovereign one. And uh, so to understand The lordship of Christ in our lives means that he calls the shots, he directs the steps, he leads the way. We've been looking in our Sunday services at the Gospel of Luke, and this past Sunday we looked at some of the opening scenes of the Gospel of Luke. We were introduced to uh, this old man who's a priest, Zechariah, and his wife Elizabeth, who are the parents of John the Baptist. We were introduced to Mary, who is... Uh, met by an angel and told that she is going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit and he will be the Son of God. We see in Matthew that Joseph also was visited by the same angel and this, this man who is a descendant of King David is told that it's okay to take that woman as your wife even though she's pregnant before your marriage. It's okay because what's going on in her is by God, by the Holy Spirit. And so we see all these, this story come together, and then John the Baptist begins to announce this. And then in chapter 2, we open up the Bible, and I love that the first words of that next scene in Luke chapter 2 is, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. Now, we're talking about Caesar Augustus. We're not talking about King Herod or one of the other tetrarchs, one of the other four kings in charge of some of those areas. We're talking about the big guy, Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, the one who was kind of considered the king of kings in his domain. 
And, you know, one of the things that we learn about kings when we study those kinds of places and, and countries that have kings is that they don't, they don't expect you to uh, disobey, and there's punishment if you do disobey. So when he issues an edict that there's going to be a census in the entire Roman world, there is going to be a census in the entire Roman world. And so the Bible says that in the very next verse, that so Joseph got up and he started toward the town of David, which was 75 miles south of Nazareth down toward Bethlehem. And he took Mary, who was his betrothed, his, his, he was engaged to Mary, and he took her, even though she was already heavy with child. What an amazing thing. What does it mean in this story? What can we learn about our lazy lordship issues? What can we learn about Jesus being king in our lives? First of all, I think we learn that it requires faith. Um, when Joseph and Mary took that trip in response to their, the Caesar that called the census, they knew that there was someone over top of even this Roman king of kings. There was another king of kings, Jesus. God was over him. And, and they went and they understood that, that, that he was over even Caesar. It also requires having peace and contentment to know that, that even, even in the worst of circumstances, I mean, this census could not have come at a worse time for Mary. And 75 miles on a donkey, it probably wasn't a very easy ride. And then getting there to Bethlehem and having no room, and so finally giving, being given a stable or possibly a cave to, to have the baby in. And then it requires that we have this humility as well. That there is indeed, if we're going to acknowledge kingship, we're going to have to acknowledge our place in our lives. And, and our place has is, is got to be humble, humility. So learning to understand that over whatever other authorities are in your life, there is one who is in authority over all of them. Understanding that whatever circumstances, painful or otherwise, that enter your life, there is someone over top of those circumstances. And in facing whatever humiliating circumstance or poverty or whatever faces you, there is someone over top of that as well. I think that's kind of what it means to acknowledge Jesus as king in the everyday things of life. It means that in the lordship issues we we stop being so lazy. We stop the complacency. We acknowledge in the, in the middle of the moment when, when you're, there's an opportunity to serve somebody, you realize that's what I'm called to be doing, to follow my servant king. Or when there's an opportunity that, that you can forgive someone because of, of the fact that they've wronged you, you, you forgive because that's the king Jesus that forgave us. And, and over and over again, every moment, there's an opportunity to let Christ be Lord. I read, a, I read a book recently by Eugene Peterson, and in the book he was talking about what happened on his seventh, in his seventh year in 1939 in Montana, where he, his family was living. And they were good Norwegian stock that always had a wonderful Christmas tree at their Christmas gathering as a big family. And yet on one occasion in 1939, his parents decided that they weren't going to have a tree. They had some kind of a, a problem with it, and so they finally decided, we're not going to have a tree. And that Christmas was the most difficult Christmas for Eugene Peterson because all of his friends were asking, why don't you have a tree? Why isn't your tree being decorated? 
and he had to make excuses up, and it was difficult. And he, he finally, in reflecting on it the next year, because that was the only year they didn't have a tree, he said this, The feelings that I had that Christmas when I was seven years old may have been the most authentically Christmas feelings I have ever had or will have. The experience of humiliation with my friends, of being misunderstood by my friends, or being an outsider even that year made me think of Mary. Mary was pregnant, out of wedlock. Joseph took her in anyway, regardless of that fact. Jesus, born in absolute poverty in a stable with animals. Everything involved in God becoming flesh was counter to the culture. I think that if we're going to understand lordship issues, kingship for Jesus issues in our lives, then we would have to look at our faith. Our faith has to be in the King of Kings' authority over all the other authorities in our lives. And what does that look like day by day? I think it means that we're going to have to really claim that peace that can be ours in the middle of the worst of circumstances because we understand that the King of Kings, Jesus, is over whatever it is that we face, whatever struggles we're giving, having. And then finally, it means that humility is letting Jesus lead and take the, the leadership guiding us into places that we're going to learn the value of his virtue, of the servant king, of the humble king. You know, many years after Jesus had been born and even died and rose again and was ascended into heaven, another emperor came up and his name was Trajan. And, and the Christians by that time had grown. There was many Christians in the Roman Empire. And they were a kind of a mysterious sect for the Roman emperor. And so he began to enlist private spies that would go into the society and spy out what the Christians were doing. He, so one of them was named Pliny, or Pliny, the, the young, younger it's called, he's called. And he would go and he, he would find out what they were doing. And when he would report back, he, hit, he didn't have any dirt on them. They were model citizens. They were wonderful people. They would do these weird things. They'd gather early in the morning and they'd sing these hymns. One of them is found in Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11, and other ones in Colossians. But other than that, you know, they really weren't that bizarre. But there was one glaring inconsistency with them where he had to bring them to conviction and court and even death. And that was because when, when all the different deities that were made, objects made in honor of, of Caesar Augustus or, or the emperor of Rome, and when they did not bow down and say, Caesar is Lord, and they could only say, Jesus is Lord, well, that was where the trouble was. And you know, the thing that's amazing is that we live miles and generations and cultures away from ancient Rome. But every day we have opportunity because the Caesars to bow down to are all around us. And we have lazy lordship issues sometimes and so we can get complacent and we begin to buy into the culture. I mean, we, we begin to, to accept some of these ways and we forget that I, actually the king of kings is really Jesus. And whatever other authorities are in my life, whatever other circumstances are in my life, he has to be reigning sovereign and supreme. So tonight as we continue in the, in the service, before we go back to doing some wonderful singing about the event of Christmas, I want to lead you in prayer. Would you bow with me now and let me pray for you? And now, Lord Jesus, says, we come before your throne. 
Lord, you the king, we confess that we struggle sometimes, oh God, with these, the laziness that enters our lives. And Father, it is different for each one of us, but Lord, we acknowledge that there are some authorities in our lives that we don't like to submit to. There are some constrictions in our lives that we don't like living under. There are some circumstances in our lives that are difficult, they're painful. We'd rather not have them, yet they're beyond our control. God, there's things in our lives that bring us humility. And sometimes we didn't even choose that way of humility. Father, tonight we acknowledge that these things are from your hand. We acknowledge, O oh God, that you are over. You are the king of all kings, the king of all Caesars, the king of all authorities, the king of all circumstance in our lives. And tonight we ask you to help us to worship you as the unrivaled king, supreme in our hearts, with no other gods before you. And Lord, may you be pleased with our worship this Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name.